You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the return we've all been waiting for. It's finally here. UFC's most notorious icon, Conor McGregor, is stepping back into the octagon this Saturday. Be sure to check out DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, for a shot to turn $1 into $257. That's right. New users can bet just $1 on McGregor to win by knockout in the first round, and if he does, you'll be cashing in $257, just like that. Bet a little, win a lot. It's that simple. There's no Flames game this Saturday, so I think I know what you're going to be doing. But hey, while we're all excited for this weekend's premiere, UFC bout, let's not forget, football is in the midst of their playoffs, so head to the app to check out the great playoff promotions. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code THPN for new players to get $257 if McGregor wins by first round knockout. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. UFC fan? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Used to be a huge UFC. I, I used to be like big GSB Matthews way back in the day, BJ Penn. I mean, I, I wasn't really until Connor got kind of got back into the octagon because it was it's kind of boring for a while there until you yeah. had a guy like him come along. So yeah, he, he dude, he is never he never disappoints except for maybe the the boxing match that was pretty disappointing. <laughs> Connor Moist Gregor, I think the. They need to have some sort of rumble between him and, and McDavid. I mean, Connor versus Connor, some something like that. Like, not that they box or fight, but some sort of. I'd love, I'd love to see Connor McGregor rip Connor McDavid a new one. <laughs> They're like <laughs> complete opposites, eh? There's like one guy who's like the most exciting entertainer in the world, and then a complete dud. So, needless to say, if you're gonna watch the fight this weekend. I don't know. It's a pretty, it's a pretty easy way to make money. I mean, might as well make the one dollar bet. Check out that, download that app, use the promo code THPN, and make some money. All right, let's get into some hockey. We got two games to cover, but first, before we do, let's take a look around the league. There's some for, former Flames making a little bit of noise this this first week of NHL hockey. Mark Jankowski has a goal and two assists. He scored the first NHL goal of the season. 
what is going on with Mark Jankowski? Is, is this sustainable? Well, you know what? Like, I think a lot of people like kind of like he was a punching bag for, for the team and the fans and all that shit for quite a while. And I think like it was kind of weird. It was like, where is this coming from? Because in his role, was he not fine in Calgary? Like, I mean, he had a tough time scoring last year, but did this guy really deserve all the shit he got from fans? I mean, sure, maybe because he's a bit of a a bit of a whim. <laughs> I was going to go that way, but I figured you'd jump in. I mean, he has that rep for being a bit soft. He's kind of like a Tootsie Roll fruit cup type of guy. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he scored a lot of goals here. He was good on the penalty kill. I think he got way too much shit in Calgary. And I mean, like, I'm glad he's scoring goals. And I think he will be. Good. I said this when he left. I was like, he'll be good for, he'll be a good depth guy for whoever he goes to. And somewhere Jay Feaster is just fucking smiling away. Yeah. Well, here's the problem with Jankowski. Like, first off, Jay Feaster, what are you doing? Like, way to set a high standard for this guy. Dude, the, the guy is like, okay, number one, we've told the story. Like, he's, everybody is like, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, it's out of high school? And then, like, if that's not enough pressure on the guy, Jay Feaster announces to the whole goddamn world on TSN <laughs> that this guy's the next Joe Newendike. Right. What are you doing? So, I don't know. Like, I always kind of liked Jankowski until the last two years. It was really the the season that, you know, he played with Neil and Bennett that I started to really dislike him. Um, mostly because, dude, just way too soft. My issue is now that we could see what he could do, now that we know he could score goals, the fact that he just shies away from going to the danger areas to score those goals when you know what he's capable of, that's, I think, where the fan base turned. That's where I turned. Um, I was not sad to see him go. I'm happy for him because I do believe he can play on a third line somewhere. Like he is in, he's on the third line, right, in Pittsburgh? Yeah, he's playing, he's playing with Chris Tanev's brother and, um, Somebody else that I'm, it's blanking on my name, but he's playing third line minutes, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I doubt he'll keep this pace, but I'm happy for the guy. Dude is going to score 58 points. So how many goals do you think Jankowski will score this year? Uh, he'll, he's probably good for six, six or seven. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He'll score more than Lucic or Simone or Nordstrom combined probably. <laughs> So what's a what is a Flames podcast without giving a little love to some ex players? So there you go, Jankowski. The other ex player that's made a little bit of head uh, headlines uh, this week for all the wrong reasons, TJ Brody in Toronto. He's already um, he's already facing the music there. Jesus Christ! I I need I need I need to go to like some sort of TJ Brody. Like I'm like I'm like a fanboy that like I need some, but on the I need some sort of help. It's like I can't not. I'm going out of my way this week to like seek out people who are criticizing him and be like, fuck you, man. He's awesome. I need, need a support some, group. I can't let like go. Some TJ Brody rehabilitation. Seriously. But I mean, it is true. Like the Toronto, what do you expect? The Toronto fan base sucks for the most part. They've been crushing him because of the one bad game where I don't know if you watch the game, no, everybody no. on the Leafs sucked ass. And then yeah, the thing it's gonna, that it's, it's going to be tough, man. I mean, you, you, Calgary fans picked on him pretty hard, so I couldn't even imagine what it's going to be like in Toronto. Yeah, a Calgary fan picking on you is like being picked on in grade school. 
it's probably not fun, but I mean, it's just like, it's, it's pretty mild, right? Yeah. In Toronto, Toronto it's probably Toronto, like, Toronto, they're going like, to kill you. Toronto's like, you're in grade school and it's like adults picking on you. <laughs> it's that bad. Exactly. But you know, he'll turn it around. Man, show up on the playground. Oh, dude, he already turned it around. In that yeah. game, in that game against their their second game against the Sens, he he looked good. The thing I I kind of pointed out, I I don't know, I was just perusing on Twitter. I don't know why I go on Twitter. What a cesspool. Well, it's not all bad, but for the most part, it's bad. And just the takes from like the Calgary people who were like, "See, Tanev is better than Brody." Woody, blah, blah 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 blah. It's like shut up. It's like the dude hasn't been out of town for like ten minutes, and you're already you foaming at the mouth to criticize the poor guy. Yeah. Anyways. Well, this season is so young, so young. It's way like let's not jump to any like. Come on, we're way way too early to be making any like sort of comparison. Hain, uh, Darren Haynes tweeted. He was like, "I oh, know I it's that. only been twenty four or like two games, yes. but we can totally judge the ten of is better than Brody." That wasn't verbatim, obviously. That's pretty much what he's saying, though. Boy, that pissed me off. Yeah, that was ridiculous. All right, let's get to. Um, I mean, I don't know if you want to cover any other news. The only other in, other news that interests me right now is the the goaltending situation in Edmonton, or the lack of goaltending situation in Edmonton. Did I say uh, interest? I should say amused. I, mean, yeah, I don't want to. It's it's like more. It's yeah, exactly. I don't want to like you know get too excited about this because there is a thing called karma. So let's not go too crazy, but we can savor it a little bit, can we not? Like when I first saw the news, Mike Smith's going down with an injury to what was it? 10 games he's supposed to miss? Something like that. So, but you and I, we don't know. Is that good for the Oilers? Is that bad for the Oilers? Like it's got to be bad, right? I think it's bad because Koskinen, for his faults, is a much better goaltender than Mike Smith. The Oilers seem to love playing Mike Smith. The more Mike Smith is in the net, the more games they will lose, in my opinion. So, I think it's the only a bad other, thing in the aggregate. The only other way I could say this might be a good thing for the Oilers, bad for us, is, I mean, obviously, uh, Kenny Holland is scrambling right now to find another goaltender. <laughs> how this how this could go bad is if, what if he, what, who is he going to trade, though? I was going to say, what if, what if he trades for an actual good goaltender and now Mike Smith's not going to play there anymore? But... Is that really going to happen? Like, who are they going to trade? Who are they going to give up? Well, did you hear the story of Jimmy Howard? Like, he inquired yeah. about Jimmy Howard. Jimmy yeah. Howard's like, Edmonton, I think I'll retire, bitch. Yeah, that's hilarious. Eh? <laughs> so, yeah, like, the, the, the only thing is maybe there is, like, there's kind of a shit ton of goalies around right now, but I don't think teams are going to be willing to trade them with what's going on already. Um, so, I don't know. I think their options are limited. I saw who's on waivers today. Somebody's on waivers. Yeah, Aaron Dell. I, I would imagine they, they snag him. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be Dell, which I have no problem with. That guy struggles. Airdrie guy, and he uh, speared Sam Bennett in the nuts last year. So, uh, yeah, I got no problem seeing him suck for the Oilers. Even like, though he's from Airdrie, which, you know, got to give a little bit of props. But, I mean, he did spear Sam Bennett in the balls. So, Any other news around the league that you want to cover that is of interest to you? I mean – it's kind of it for me. Oh yeah, I want to talk about Stutzla's goal because that was so that and Kaprizov. Both those two rookies are like holy well, shit. Well, what about Hoglander? Yeah, these rookies are looking so good. I, I watched the overtime of the LA Minnesota game the other day. Um, geez, that Kaprizov kid is good, and Stutzla's goal was amazing. Fuck, it's so bumming me out. There's no fans though. Like Stutzla scores that sweet goal. 
he's going nuts and there's no fans. It's just kind of yeah. a bummer. Kind of puts a downer on the whole thing. It'll still be a special memory, but yeah, you're right. I mean, so yeah, other than that, it was nice to see, um, was it 5-1? The Canadians just pumped the Oilers. Yeah, they smoked him. And it's weird. Like, I know we talked about this um, kind of on the, the North Division preview show, but it's like, because that's the thing everyone says, oh, they have McDavid and Dreisaitl. And it's like if McDavid and McDreisaitl yeah. aren't scoring three, four goals, three, four, five goals a night combined, they're getting punked, it seems. Dude, literally when the Oilers are winning, like four something in a game, five something in a game, look at the score sheet. Either one of those guys has a hat trick, like, or they have four points. It's absurd. Like it's, it's the only time that they're winning. It, it's pretty crazy. And I mean, like, yeah, it, it always seems weird to say, but, but it's like when those two guys are going and playing well and kind of on the ice, it's like the Oilers are incredibly dangerous. And when they're not, they're the, probably the worst team in the league. So I don't know. We'll see, but. Dude, their defense, man, is their defense so bad. Is rank. And Koskinen, if Koskinen is like, yeah, if, he, if he's average, they're in trouble. And he was below average last game. So, like, I, I from a Flames fan perspective, I hope Koskinen's going going to go on a bit of a skid here because they could get into a hole pretty early. And if we've learned anything from the past, when this Oilers team goes into a hole. Sometimes they just start to fade away and not saying they're not going to, you know, give us runs every single time we play them because they will, they hate us. We hate them, but there's two things that give me joy in this league right now. It's when the Calgary flames are winning and the Edmonton Oilers are losing. It's a great, it's a great thing. And like, I'm hoping this is the year Connor McDavid finally shaves that goddamn neck beard. Dude, him at like Holtby too. Eh? He's got Holtby always has that neck beard going. Yeah, but at least Holtby can grow a beard, right? Like McDavid looks like he's a prepubescent. Like, oh god, it's so gross. <laughs> okay, so the only other kind of league news, which was saved for last because it has to do with the Flames, is the Dubois thing. Now, I was looking at an article earlier, and let's see what the date is on this thing. It's the fourteenth, so it's three days ago. But apparently, as of three days ago, the Flames are very interested in Dubois. Did you see that? Have you heard this? I've heard Brad Living has been interested to everyone from goddamn Mark Stone to Taylor Hall to Jordan Eberle to Dr. Seuss to fucking <laughs> the hockey players on Letterkenny, for Christ's sake. Like, Brad Living, if you have a pulse and are breathing... Look, and our warm body, Brad Schliving wants you to play hockey for for his club. Brad Schliving is in on everyone. He's in on everything. How many times has have we heard the full flames are in on this one? Flames are in on this one. It's like <laughs> so every, like it's the boy that it's not even the boy that cried wolf because oh, like Brad Schliving's in on this one, folks. A, so okay. Apparently, I'm hearing there's three teams involved: uh, the Calgary Flames. <laughs> It's like it's dude. like John Tavares is taking meetings with Toronto and Tampa Bay only, but also word that Brad True Living is in the tires. building somewhere and definitely kicking tires because he he always does his due diligence, right? So just like, to preface so the PLD talk with, of course they're in on it. I think I th- I don't think the Flames can make it work when you look at what it would cost them to give up, 
or what it would cost to get PLD, the player fit itself, and again, the salary. It just doesn't work, does it? I don't know. It's um... like I would love to have PLD on on the team, but I mean, is PL is Pierre Lecoubois a first round pick and your top prospect better than Sean Monahan? Because that's probably what you're going to have to give up. Monahan looks good. We'll get into it. And the other thing is too, like, is, does Columbus want Sean Monahan? And a first? Probably this not. I don't know. A... It just makes no sense on any angle. Yeah, no, it doesn't really. Did you hear what Brian Burke said about players asking for trades? I kind of heard. I was watching it last night. I kind of tuned Burke out because most of what he says is horseshit. But he was he he was defending PLD, wasn't he? Well, he's basically saying no. I don't think he was. He he said he, no. As a GM, he hated it when players asked for trade because oh. you can you can never get fair value for someone who wants wants a trade, right? I don't know, like Yarmo Kekalainen, like has, does this guy blink? Is this guy human? He's a he's a lizard person. This guy looked down the barrel of Artemi Panarin, Sergey Bobrovsky, Matt uh, leaving the team in unrestricted free agency. He was like, ah, fuck it, let's go pay a first for Matt Duchesne, and then they all left. So, yeah, but do you think maybe he learned his lesson? Ah, uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Cause then he, but then the other thing is too, like he's a hard ass too in trades. Maybe like he got the ghost. He got Max Domi for the ghost of Josh Anderson, who scored one goal last year. He gets like a top line center. So I don't think he's going to be blinking. Like, I don't think Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to win this game of poker or chicken or whatever they're playing, you know? Yeah. It's like, chicken. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Kekalainen is going to cave to his demands and like, just pull, just do what you had. Does nobody watch what Joe Sackey does and just say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Do we not remember how that Matt Duchesne worked out for Joe trade worked out for Joe Sackey? Matt Duchesne Ooh. asked for a trade Ooh. and Joe Sackey is like, nah, I'll trade you. And I want to trade you bitch. And then he goes out and gets a foundational core for his team for the next 15 years in draft picks. So like, just do that. Yeah. Okay, only other news uh, Flames related is the the Richie signing, the Brett Richie signing is official. One year, seven hundred thousand. And wait for that Mike Stone trade, bro. Charter signing. So, like, I've never, I don't even know, like, it sounds like a made up hockey player name in like a show. It's like it sounds real enough, but you don't quite know who Brett Richie is. Like that sounds like a believable hockey name, but he's the brother of Nick Richie. So what are we getting here in, in Richie? Is this, is this Milan Lucci's replacement? Because Milan Lucci does not look good. I don't know. Like, I think he's probably going to join the taxi squad, maybe in plays like Robinson or something. I don't know. I don't really know why we need another one of these guys. Like, again, it's like the Nordstrom thing. It's like, I'm not going to make a big fuss about it, but I just don't understand the purpose of it it just seems quite unnecessary you literally have now what robinson ronaldo richie nordstrom did you need all these guys i don't think so well we needed them all last year so that's true we'll just just see how like would you take richie over ronaldo yes would you take richie over nordstrom yes would you take Richie over Lucic? I don't see Lucic not 
playing in the lineup. But. I would, but they, but there's no way Lucic doesn't play. Well, I don't know if I would, based on Lucic's first two games, probably. But, um, but you're gonna take Simone over Richie. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of untapped potential with Simone. Okay. And I'm very surprised let's, he didn't play in the season opener, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Well, let's get into it. We got two games to break down. Um, we'll get into the nitty gritty, but first off, can I just say how wonderful it is to fee- be feeling the devastation of losing and the elation of winning in a span of 48 hours. Once again, hockey is back in beautiful jerseys. How mesmerizing are those white away jerseys? My God, those are so sexy. Like I want to be buried in one of those when I die. And like, like I, it's just so like, holy shit. Those are, I can't stop looking at them and I can't tell you how much joy it brings me to see the, the, the flaming sea, like in all the graphics and stuff, not outlined in black anymore. Just, yeah. Oh man. And so even, good. even like in the ticker where it's just a, a yes. background gradient color, it's, it's the darker yes. red now. It's not like the, yeah. So much better. I was literally, I was literally just sitting there watching it. I'm like, you know what? Regardless of what happens this year, I will be happy because I got to watch the entire season in these jerseys. Yeah, exactly. Like that was a good, perhaps that's why the flames marketing team waited until now to do this, to pull this. It's just like, Yes, let's just trick them and make them happy. It's like what what is they repackage? It's like when it, when a product starts sucking and you just like put it in new packaging and everyone's stoked. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think we're gonna be, we're gonna be better than we were last year, are we not? Oh yeah, totally. All right, so game one, Winnipeg I'm ready you, to be hurt again. You missed the first period. The first period was like remember the playoffs. I think it was maybe the first period or even the first game against Dallas. And we were like, are we going to win the Stanley cup? Like they were that good. Like they dominated every shift. I swear to God, every single line was getting one or two chances, scoring chances per shift. It was complete domination. I was sitting there like, wow, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, like I was on my way home, got home, finally got the, my phone was dinging the whole time. And it was just like, wow. Everything is clicking. You got Kudrow scoring on the power play. You got Chuck scoring the first goal, obviously. It just sounded like, but the, but like in the back of my mind, even though I was like, okay, how long until the inevitable, you know, and, until they blow it? So one thing's for sure, this team needs to figure out how to play with the lead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because what we're seeing is they can – with their will, they can dominate 20 minutes in a period. They can get on a roll. And if that's the case and they start getting puck luck, like they're going to be getting leads. So, I mean, we, that's what we saw against Dallas, right? We had these leads and then we couldn't hold on to them. Well, yeah, we were on, we were doing some live stuff over the weekend and that was kind of my take. It was like, it felt like, again, I didn't see the first period, but dominant first period followed by two terrible periods you ultimately lose the game that feels like game seven if there was a game seven against dallas like it just felt like a continuation of that exact thing like in a lot of those dallas games in the playoff games great start maybe you get a lead like even game six get up three nothing and then you completely let off the gas and start getting smoked yeah and i don't know it's pro i don't know did you what were the numbers like 
um, in a Winnipeg game because I'm sure we dominated in the first period. They definitely beat us in the second period, but there was a few moments in the game to me that, you know, led to our demise. Um, that five on three goal was, you get it. Look, the guys are rusty. Teams are rusty. Both teams got a too many men on the ice, but chalk that up under game one rust, right? Yeah. Yeah. Too many, too many men. And then, it's the same same culprits. We saw it last game with Bennett and Hannaf- and Hannafin. Backlund's typically a stick infringement guy too. You know, he's just a little bit careless with a stick, gets a high sticking penalty. Five on three against those guys. Dude, they pulled out the five forward power play. Is there any way they're not gonna score with that much power? Firepower? No like- chance. Is that like the most deadly five forward? group you can think of in the league probably like <laughs> yeah. i i would say yes 100 percent. i was down. scared shitless when those guys came off and came over the boards yeah i mean we did we held, we held that pretty good there for like you know a bit i thought maybe we were gonna pull it off but we didn't well and then also line a was like a man possessed too like dude looked great um yep. and the flames couldn't contain him um yep. so yeah just like the, the penalty trouble the matchup thing, like Jeff Ford starting the the Lucic, I, I thought the Lucic the the goal to start thirty four seconds into the period was, yeah, was probably the turning point in the game. Where for some reason you're starting your fourth line, who had got cratered more than anyone in the first period. Um, you're starting them on the road, and obviously Paul Maurice is gonna he's gonna roast those guys with the Shifley line, and then Lucic with a really, really poor turnover, and that that was kind of the. At that point, the flame, there was no coming back, it seemed. Yeah. There was four things for me that stood out. The first goal that Winnipeg scored, Rasmus Anderson should have had that, right? He comes Yeah, he down. should have buried it, yeah. He has the goalie beat. Guys, if you're ever playing and you have the goalie beat, you shoot it into the net right away, unless you have no room. He had room. He had lots of room to shoot. He just wanted to play it safe and carry it into the open net. By the time he did that, Forbert, who played well, was there to save a goal. So within four seconds after that, right, the puck gets turned over, Liney goes down on a breakaway. Markstrom's not going to save that. Like, Liney is a snipe show. So that's thing number one that just kind of like, that should have went a different way. It should have been 2 nothing. Yeah, Rasty used to bury that. Um... And then, like you said, starting the second, like, okay, Jeff Ford starts the game with the fourth line. Yeah. And he seems to be like, why does a coach do this? I'm sure there's different, there's different tactics, but if your tactic is one of sentimental reason, then you better check yourself. Right. And I, like, maybe you do it once. Is he, is he just, you know, paying tribute to how well these guys played in the playoffs, Sam Bennett, Milan Lucic. That's why they started the game. Like, but why would you do it again to start the second period? It makes no sense. Yeah, it was really stupid. And again, nobody in the media asks him, <laughs> asks him about it, especially when that line's like, you could tell they were underwater. Like, they got absolutely demolished in that game. Well, and um, it was, it was, it was a combination of two bad turnovers back to back. Sam Bennett fumbles it. Yeah. Milan Lucic fumbles it right to, like, Went right to the open guy. 
Like I, I don't see, I don't think I've seen Lucic. No, I don't think Lucic has ever been crushed that hard. That was it, bad. It, like that was terrible. Like I think his expected goal four percentage was in like in the six percent range, which was like mind blowing. Like he was on the ice for like what? How many high danger chances? Two and like eight. He was on the ice for eight scoring chances against. Dude, he was turning the puck over, exiting the zone. How many times? It was yeah. It was, it was so bad. again, like if you're Jeff Ward and you're watching that in the first period. I mean, I guess they were they were great in the first period, obviously, but I, that yeah. that that line wasn't. It's like, what are you doing? Start your guys who are rolling. You got Lindholm and Chucky playing lights out. Johnny Imani looks good. You have to, like, isn't this the point of having these three lines now that you can roll out? Like, why well, are you starting I'm, with your not only your weakest line, your weakest line by a margin? And that, to me, coming into the season was the big question mark, right? How was Ward going to manage this group? And now that he has more depth to work with, ultimately he has more options, right? So is that going to work in favor for us? Because Jeff Ward has more potential to make, you know, better decisions within the game, or is it going to go the other way? Cause he can't figure out how to do it. And like, I mean, we, this has kind of been a little, this has been ameliorated because he did do a lot better job against the Canucks in terms of matchups and stuff. Yeah. But I think it was probably a tactical thing. Maybe like, I'm hoping it was like him being like, I, I can trust Lucic and Nordstrom and Bennett. And it's like, those guys just sucked. So he was like, hopefully he'll be like, that's the last we see of that deploying the fourth, starting the fourth line tactic. So uh, if I'm just reading into Jeff Ward's brain, like I'm hoping that was the reason. Cause um, the TSN turning point for me was the third period um, late in the period Right. It was anybody's game. It's tie game. We were starting to mount some pressure. The Chucky line had an amazing shift. Chances, the whole pressure was in the Winnipeg Jets and, and followed up by who was it? Backlund's line. Same thing. Manji Pawnee and Backlund. Pressure, pressure, pressure was Sam at that at that time. Yeah, because they had moved Bennett up. He he had like two or three glorious scoring chances in a row. Yeah. And I said to my bro, I'm like, okay, this like we're starting to build a momentum here. Who's he gonna roll out with next? You gotta go back to Chucky's line. Shorten the bench. And who comes out? Your heroes, fourth line, Derek Ryan, who was having a brutal game, but yeah, he wasn't he wasn't good at all. Um, and we spent the entire shift in our end, all that momentum that we started to build was gone. And then it goes into commercial break. So now you're like, okay, well, I guess we'll try and beat him in overtime. But for me, that was the turning point because it's like, dude, you had the momentum building. You have to, as a coach, especially late in the game, shorten the bench, especially when the fourth line has been your demise. Anyways. Yeah. So, like, again, I think for you as well, most of the things that stood out in that first game against Winnipeg were tactical decisions by Ward stood out in a negative way. Yep. The fourth line matchups again, he was forcing Gaudreau Monahan had five offensive zone starts and seven D zone starts. And for some reason, the Chucky Lindholm line got the majority of their starts in the offensive zone, as did the Mangia Panny Backland line. It's like it should be like flip that, man. Yeah. So that was weird. And obviously, and this, it didn't work. This, this is what we, we have been saying going into the season, right? Yeah, and like, these were our these were our main concerns too. Yeah, like all of these things. So Foster after management, deployment tactics. Yeah, after game one, man, I was not in a good space because 
not only did we lose, and I fucking hate losing, but I just felt hopeless again with Jeff Warden behind the helm, but he definitely redeemed, redeemed himself in game two. Yeah, for sure. He did by removing Nordstrom. I didn't think he was going to make the, I, he, I didn't think he was going to make one adjustment and he pretty much made all the adjustments that I was hoping for. Yeah. You removed Nordstrom from the lineup. Yep. Put Simone put, in. Yeah. Put Simone in and bump Sam Bennett up to the third line. I still am not sold on that one yet based on Sam's <laughs> issues against the Canucks. Um, but then again, he, 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 did a lot. It's easier on home ice to do matchups to to play the matchup game, obviously with last change. But you saw Johnny and Monty start a lot more in the offensive zone. Yep. Get the majority of their zone starts there, and you saw the Lindholm and Kachuk and the Manji Petty back in the lines starting in the D zone a lot more. So both of those things were 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 fixed to a degree. Yeah, you actually had the um, the face off breakdown. Do you still have that up? Yeah, I think I posted it somewhere to Instagram. I can pull it up here. Um, cause that was, that was another thing Kent Wilson's been talking about. Um, and, and you actually had by comparison after that first game, right. It was five in the O zone, seven in the D zone compared to Connor McDavid that same night had like 10 O zone starts two D zone starts. So if you're doing it for a guy like Connor McDavid, why aren't you doing it for a lion like Johnny with Johnny and Monty? Right? Well, yeah. And like, it's pretty much. That's what you do with offense. Like, again, these are guys who are just here to score. Yeah. That's all they're here to do. Give them the best chance to do that. And again, if you look across the league, like pretty much all the best players, all the top scoring guys, Connor, uh, Kucherov, like all these guys, they're getting the majority of the shots in the ozone, right? So it's not just like some meaningless detail that you and I are, um, obsessed with for no reason. There's a reason behind it. Like if you look at McDavid, if you look at all these guys who are really good, like the point scores, the high ones, Dreisaitl, McDavid, they suck at defense. They're terrible. If you start them in the D zone, they're not going to be able to get out of there. Yeah. So it's just like it makes no sense. Yeah. So I got the numbers here. Their strengths. Johnny started um, 71.43 percent of his faceoffs in the offensive zone in Game Two. Yeah, 10 offensive zone faceoffs. Uh, same for Monaghan and their linemate, Josh Levo. And again, it was perfect because it was flipped from the Winnipeg game, which is what it should have been. You had the Mangiapani backland line starting um, most of their uh, faceoffs yeah. in the D zone. They only had two offensive zone starts in that game. That's exactly what you should be doing. Perfect. And exactly. it worked well. Did you notice Ilias Pedersen on the ice against the Canucks? Not once. Listen, I know that that was what their fourth third game in four nights they look tired man and i think that they're going to be different the next time we play them but dude i didn't i noticed nobody the only yeah. guys i the only guy i noticed was quinn hughes yeah exactly they, they looked they looked thin i know they're missing jt miller they yeah. played a lot but boy like that i think a lot of people's suspicions about them being super thin up front and man that defense did not look good no you got quinn hughes back there and that's kind of it like how many times? How many times in those in the games against the Oilers did McDavid and Drysaddle burn Tyler Meyer? Like, man, that that Vancouver team might be in for a rough season because it, it was a weird game. It was pretty low event, which you'd think would have favored Vancouver, seeing as they're tired and depleted. But yeah, they didn't do much, and it, it, I didn't notice Pedersen once outside of the five on three. Yeah. 
We definitely carried the play five on five, um, but obviously the power play was the difference maker. Three power play goals. Yeah, weird game five on five. Like I said, kind of low event, not a lot happening. It was kind of like, but there were a lot of penalties. So um, that kind of affected the flow of the game. And I mean, like if the power play is going to be this good all year, and I, I loved some of the looks from the power play in both games. Um, but it was, it's, it was really dynamic against the Canucks because Lindholm and Joe were switching flanks a lot. Um, you've got the right-hand shot in Anderson back there. Now I'm still a little, I'm still a little, maybe Gio should still be there. Yeah. But you had he, some nice plays. He looks, he looks like the better option now, but yeah, I, I don't mind Anderson there now and seeing like how much he progresses. And yeah, spot. I'm totally willing to give it a shot, but then yeah. you saw Gio walk the line like so well oh. um, on the, on the Dubé goal, which might be one of the most tantalizing goals. The team has scored in a long Ooh. while, probably since the last Dubé goal, that rush goal against Dallas. Dude, that was simply. Yeah. But I loved, I liked a lot of what I saw from the power play, a lot of different looks. Um, Johnny, Johnny looked good on the power play. I thought Johnny looked pretty good five on five too. He was buzzing. Yeah. I mean, in both games, I thought Johnny, Johnny was excellent. Yeah. I thought he could have probably done um, like, there's a few plays in the Winnipeg where he, he like, he enters the zone with total control and he can make a play, but he just like slapped it from the wall. Yeah. So there's a few kind of missed opportunities for him, but, but the biggest thing with John game in three, four months. And the biggest thing with Johnny, we're always looking for is, is he, when he enters the zone, cutting to the middle of the ice, and yep. he is right now. He is so. Let's let's hope that that trend continues. I think it will. But yeah, when he, he's cutting, when he's cutting to the middle of the ice, going to the danger areas, that's when he just sucks everybody towards him, draws everybody in, and that's when all these seams start to open up, and he works his magic. So as long as he continues to do that, um, and Matt Sean Monahan has been looking good in the offensive zone not so much in the d zone he looks kind of lost but in the o zone man he's making like sick plays like that one toe drag shot he got off oh the, dude that was yeah the flames hit a bunch of posts last night too so they were they were i know some people were like only oh, so they only were good on the power play i thought they were pretty solid five on five yeah. um but yeah monahan a nice play a co- nice play on the power play goal against winnipeg for sure I like when he does that sometimes when he'll come up to the high, like almost to the blue line and support um, Lindholm and, or whoever's on the point there. Like he'll, he'll do yeah. that from time to time. Yeah. Um, and I mean that, that low high low play where he scored on against the Canucks, I thought Kachuk, they, they made a nice adjustment to that because usually what Kachuk does is he goes too far to the boards and then he has to force the pass. Yeah, and then you can see that pass coming from a mile. But he was he was right beside the net there, and then he pushed yeah. it right out in front. And like, what's Holpe supposed to do? Dude, he feathered that to Monahan, and it's just like you knew that was going back net. Yeah. So like the big it the thing that I think is the most encouraging from the first two games, and we'll get to the Markstrom stuff. But it seems to me that the lines are working, and the big boys look like they're coming to play this season. Look, and they're they're back on track. We harp on Jeff. I agree. We harp on Jeff Ward a lot. I want to give him props because going doing this thing, going with Chucky and Lindholm, like you just said, the line it gives you three lines now. Like when it, when was the last time we had three lines? It's been forever. Like Decades. I can't even think. Like think think about all the third. Like that's always been the problem. Is like oh, they're so thin up front. Now, if your third line is Backlund, Monge, and whoever it's going to be, 
right now it's Bennett. Jeff Ward needs to be um, strategic and making sure that those guys, especially Mangiapane, is getting enough ice time. How good did Mangiapane look last game? Hot damn, dude. Dude, like, this guy is a five-on-five five beast. I was, you know, I, I made that little clip of him, right, with the little mm-hmm. nifty moves he made. He does a spinner-ammer around Quinn Hughes. Um, kicks a, He gets a, you know, a pass from Monaghan in the skates, flubbering, sliding flat on the ice, kicks it to himself in stride. That was awesome. That, like, that that shift he had, right, versus Quinn Hughes, where Quinn Hughes, like, laying on top of him, and then he comes back down one-on-one. Dude, that was just, dude. Mangiapane is a five-on-five machine. Yeah, he's great. He <laughs> He's one of those guys, again, like, you can tilt the ice so much at five-on-five. Five. Those guys are so valuable. And, man, am I loving – because I know last year we were so mad that him and Dubé weren't getting power play time. Now they're getting it. Oh, I love I love that power play unit. I would like Levo instead of Lucic, but I mean, yeah, or Bennett, or yeah, the Dubé Majipani connection is like my favorite thing of all time. Dude, PP two is looking good. Oh, dude, like, it looks so good. And I like that. Um, you know, PP one is actually you know utilizing what a hundred seconds of the power play out of one hundred and twenty now. Because we've been harping on that for a while, like yeah, the, for so long it's been you know one minute now get off, give the other guys a chance, but they're almost utilizing at least the first two games, almost all of the power play time, and I I like that. I want to see the Flames at some point this year roll the five forward power play like out of the Jets. That's my dream. Actually, what I want to see is if you could roll at the five forward power play. If if there's a chance where the Flames have a power play in an empty net. I want to see Kachuk, Lintom, Monahan, Goudreau, Mangiapane, uh, Dubé, all out on the ice at the same That's time. Six, yeah. So just to wrap up on on um, Mangiapane, him and Kachuk's like this too. Just like every once in a while when you're watching a Flames game, just ISO cam on those guys. Yeah. And you'll see how good they are away from the puck when they're about to get the puck, their positioning, when they have the puck, the decisions they make, like every little thing they do is like exceptional. Well, dude, I know I was saying the other day, like Matthew Chuck played a really good game against the jets, but he did look rusty. Like, I mean, and rusty, he still scored, had seven shot attempts, had four scoring chances, was a monster five on five. But I mean, like, did he, it not, up. did he, yeah. Getting into everything. Did he not play like almost a perfect hockey game? Like every, I thought against the Canucks, every time he was on the ice, he was the yeah. best player on the ice. Yeah. Well, him and Mangiapane, man, I'm telling you. Like they were, they were so good. And the, the fact that you can spread that out through now three lines, hopefully they, they stick with that. So I thought that was a really good game. I know people were, were maybe a little like, mm, it was just the power play, but I thought they, I thought they owned five on five. So. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into some individual players and we're going to, look at them in the light of both games, not just focus on one game or the other, but the first guy I want to focus on Sam Bennett. Um, right. We talk about Sam Bennett a lot on this podcast. He's a, he's a, he's a, what is he? He's just like, he's his he's own worst enemy. Yeah. He's a, he's a lightning rod. It's like everybody wants to talk about him. Cause there's just so much to talk about all the time. So in game one, he comes in the fourth line and it's just like, you know, they were trying to, 
you know, start him higher out of camp and they got injured and it's just like the guy can't catch a break. And then he comes in on the fourth line and then it, like, he probably only had like five minutes of ice in those first two periods. And in the third period, he gets that one shift, man, where he like danced around four Winnipeg jets and almost scores. And then he gets bumped up to the third line and he has a great looking period. And it's just like, okay, you know, you have to start him on the third line the next game. And then you do. And then it's just like, come on. What are you doing? Those penalties he takes are so bad. They're so stupid. Like, And, is he, and you always hear this. It's like you can't take penalties in the offensive end. Like when you're trying to like, like you're, you should only really be taking penalties when you have to, to prevent a goal from being scored in your own end. Like that, that penalty that, Whoever it was, I think it was Pedersen even, or who was it? The slash yeah, slash Geo on the Mangiapane play, yeah. That prevented a straight-up goal. That's, that's when a you take fine a, penalty. That's when you take a penalty. Like, whatever. You prevented a goal. Take your chances on the power play. I think we scored in the power play, though, Jimmy. <laughs> I think so, yeah. But anyways, like, Sam Bennett, that, like, coaches fucking hate that. You're taking penalties in the offensive end when there's absolutely no pen, no reason to. And not only that, but like, what a dumb penalty to take. Well, both of them were incredibly like, does he like, again, if this was an isolated incident, sure. He has done this his whole career. And I mean, he's been in the league how long and he's still like, like how can he not have any control over his stick? And he like, still like, how, what is with it? I get it. He's stronger than like, you know, 75% of the guys out there. But, dude, Sam, if you're in the neutral zone, you know, if you're in the offensive zone, you don't have to win every single battle. If a guy has a puck, you don't have to get the puck from the guy, right? There's other plays you can do, right? You can force him towards the boards. You can, like, whatever. You don't have to try and strip a guy of a puck every time you're a guy beside a guy with a puck. Like, you don't have to do that. Does he think he has to get the puck from a person every single time? Like, is that why he's taking these stupid penalties? It's, it's it better he better have a goddamn good reason for why he's doing this because Jesus getting annoying like again and it, it spoiled it, uh, I thought he had a good game on the ice for the most part yeah and this is the thing like everybody wants to root for you Sam Bennett everybody is and then you fucking do this and then people are like oh my god how can we like oh like again like everybody talks about oh playoffs 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 like imagine that's a tight playoff game and dude you're taking two dumb penalties. Like at some point, what you're doing on the ice, whether it's the physicality creating scoring chances is going to be offset by your absolute stupidity with your stick. Like, I don't get how he, like, what is he doing? Again, like, I th- how I think, can he keep taking these penalties? I think it's a confidence thing, honestly, in that he, he sees himself. He's on the fourth line in game one. Yeah. He manages. Cause you know, the response shifts that we saw from him in the third period in game yeah. one, his first like, shift with Backlund and Manjapani, he was, a he different was like, player. he was like, I'm not going back to the fourth line. And you saw what he did. He danced through the entire team, just about scored. And he had an excellent period. He was all over the place. So to me, it's like, he's trying to work so hard because he doesn't want to lose that spot again, that he like shoots himself in the foot. He's his own worst enemy. So again, this guy needs more coach. Listen, Jeff Ward, you were a teacher. You should know this. 
You should be able to signal out which students need like the most attention, which ones don't. Sam Bennett needs more coaching than anybody else because there's an upside there. If you can reel him in, right? If you can get him to be that confident player, he can be an outstanding player in your third line. Yeah, and you again, that's why it's so frustrating because it's like, holy shit, did you watch Bennett on that shift? Wow. <laughs> then he jumps out and takes two ridiculously dumb penalties. Not one, two. So I I, ho- I, do, I do hope, I don't know. I, Dominic Simone is the only thing that's interesting. Like if, if Simone wasn't around, I would say let Bennett uh, go wild on that line, but we'll, we'll see, I guess. Yeah, I still think you start with him, but you got to, I don't know. He, well, Jeff Ford probably knows what to do. He's I a hope, teacher, I right? So. He knows that Sam Bennett knows, but he needs Sam Bennett needs some guidance, needs some help. Like he needs, maybe he needs to be reassured that he's going to have that spot there for at least three, five games, right? Yeah, know. instead of being nervous and always being like, oh, I got to win this battle, stupid penalty. Okay, what have you thought of Levo so far? I mean, he's been pretty invisible for me for five of six periods. I thought he was good in the first period against the Jets, and then he hasn't really done much for me otherwise. Like, he's been com- fine, but, like, did you even notice him? Like, no. I, I didn't even notice him against the Canucks, like, not but even I f- once. I feel like this is the type of player that Levo is. He's kind of like – he's a he's a money to a much lesser extent where he yeah. just kind of, like, fades away – lurks in the weeds and then the next thing you know he goes on like a three games goal scoring streak like that to me to me that's like who levo is yeah Um, and i'll take him being like i didn't really notice him like he wasn't bad he didn't cost the team he was still fine i thought he got stuck in the defensive zone a little bit um against the canucks but it's like he was a liability out there so It's just I haven't really he like he did he only had like one shot attempt against the Canucks no shots so hopefully he gets a little more involved and again it was a little that that game was weird if you're not a special teams guy which he isn't yet I guess um he barely I did he, how much did he even play like he barely even played like I think he only played like eleven minutes so um that that kind of cut into it too but yeah he's he he was good in the first and then he's meh you know yeah yeah like, I I still think it's too. Yeah, it's early, two games. Early to change anything yet? I would leave him there for now. Yeah, me too. Give him another another three to five games, and if you don't see any flashes of anything, you know, then maybe give someone else a shot there. But yeah, I'd probably leave him there for now. Yeah, me too. And I, I would be curious to put Manjipani in a spot, but I also the the Manj backlink connection is just so strong and so solid that yeah, I would leave it for now. And I'm really, again, I'm really curious to see what Sam Bennett turns into with those two. If he stays there, which I hope he does for a bit. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on Dubé? Dude, what do you even say about this guy? Like in game one, I thought his first period was unbelievable. And I thought he kind of was pretty meh for period two and three. Yeah, he faded. But he was good for three periods last game. He was he was excellent. He oh my god, man! Like he went to another level last game. The speed this guy has with the with the combination of the hands and the playmaking ability, I don't see this guy dropping out of the top six anytime soon. I mean, I was predicting that he would. But well, my thing was kind of like maybe you can filter him and Mangiapane between, like yeah. switch him and Mangiapane based on who's going. Like Mangiapane is always going. 
So if Dubé's not going, just switch him down to Backlund's line and have Mangiapane play with Kachuk in Backlund. But damn, he looked good against the Canucks, man. Coming into the season, I had predicted that he's not quite ready to hold a top six spot. Yeah, I'm, I was on the same wavelength, probably. But I don't know. After seeing, I mean, he kind of proved me right in the first game because he looked good in the first, but yeah. he kind of faded away. But I don't know. After seeing him last game, whew, if he can, if he can keep that game consistent, he's not going anywhere. Oh, dude, and, and five like five on five, he was good too. Two shot attempts. Uh, Two shots, six shot attempts, couple scoring chance or three scoring chances, and then snipe that <laughs> absolute laser on the power play. And I love him. I I think that's the thing about him is like he's got some Gaudreau to him, but he's kind of like a, a hybrid of Gaudreau and Manjapani. Like he he's got the, he's just oh man, he's just such a fascinating player. Yeah, but with with a little bit of Bennett in there too. Like he's, yeah, like he's feisty too. He's mean, he's physical. He hits hard. Yeah. yeah. So he's an interesting player. Okay, thoughts on the whole Ryan or Bennett on the third line? Well, I do like Derek Ryan on that third line, especially if it's going to be a shutdown unit. Um, like, come on, Mangiapane, Backlund, Derek Ryan. Is there a bet? Would there be a better third line possession shutdown line in the league? No, I don't think so. Um. But I don't know. Derek Ryan struggled a little bit. I'm sure he hasn't, you know, been super thrilled with his usage. I don't know. I, I it'll. I, I just think, like you said, it's time for them to squeeze what they can out of Sam Bennett. Like they need to unlock this guy because yeah. if they unlock him, it's it's a new weapon they have. Like you know it's what okay. Derek Ryan is. If worse comes to worse and Sam Bennett continue, starts sucking, you can put Derek Ryan in there, be fine. But the upside of leaving Sam Bennett with those guys trying to get him going, trying to unlock his whatever, his secret animes, trying to unlock his final Pokemon form um, would be way more beneficial to this team in the long run. Yeah, like if Dubik can hold up on the on this top line Yeah, and listen, he compliments that line and he brings another dimension to that line. Like it's that line is tough enough. Right. When you have Chucky, Chucky is the driver, man. Whatever line he's on, that line is going to be good. He's going to drive that line and you see it night in, yeah. night out. And then you couple that with Lindholm, who's just smart. He can he can supplement what um Kachuk is doing. He can add another threat as far as shot goes. Yeah, Dubé on there with that speed and that skill. Um, if, if Dubé can keep doing what he's doing, man, that that line is is something else. And not only that. But if Dubé is is a, a good fit there on that line, then automatically you have more depth than your lineup, right? Because it's like we've always been in this problem of who do you put on the top line and do you have to like stack it, right? If you're looking at who you have on your roster, if Dubé's up there, you're not stacking that top line, right? He's just he's he's working um, in in a position where. You know, maybe you don't have to put Gaudreau up there and then you can have Gaudreau on the second line or maybe you don't have Mangiapane up there. You can have Mangiapane on the third line. You know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. And I mean, it gives you the thing about like spreading it out throughout is like not only does it cause matchup problems, but it calls t- it it creates tactical problems because those guys yeah. attack those guys attack in the offensive zone in, in way different ways. Like Dubé is a ferocious four checker, but he can also beat you on the rush. 
he's also a pretty skilled zone entry guy. Um, yeah. Whereas Gaudreau is probably going to make most of his plays with sustained zone pressure or off the rush. Dubé can, he can dump it in and go get it. He'll run you over or he can carry it in and make a play. He's a dual threat off the wing where a guy like Gaudreau's not. Um, so you and just he has like, a great shot. Yeah. And he, he's got a fucking rocket where Gaudreau doesn't. So it's just like, now you're in a situation where not only are opposing coaches struggling to get the guys they want out against the top guys. It's like, who are the top guys? I don't know. And you have different looks from different players, yeah. different lines have different tactics. So man, and maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We beat the Canucks for Christ's sake, but I mean, <laughs> three scoring lines. Dude, if Dubé can hold out and yep. Levo, you know, can find his form. He'll find his form, right? And if, like, I think if, that's a good comparison with Monaghan where it's like, the thing is like, oh, all he does is score goals. It's like, sure, you're complaining when he's not, but when he's scoring goals, yeah, you're exactly. like, oh, damn. And you know, man, if you're playing with Johnny Gaudreau, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's like playing with McDavid. Exactly. So if you got those two lines going, and then if, if Ward can, you know, figure out Sam Bennett, and then Sam Bennett now is a contributing factor with a line like Manji Pani Backlund. Like, come on, we got the best, we got the best forward group in the in the division, hands down. Outside the well, I guess the Leafs struggled pretty hard the other night, but yeah, the like three lines. So top, top good. nine. So good, man. So I don't know. I haven't been a big fan of Ryan so far. I know I know what his his upside is. Um, right? He's skilled and he's smart. He might be a little too soft for me, but we'll see how he kind of rebounds. And again, it might be one of those things where, I, man, it's got to be hard. It's got to be hard if you're a player like Jankowski that we've seen in the past, like Bennett we've seen in the past. If you're if you're demoted down to a fourth line role, um, you're just kind of waiting for that opportunity. You may or may not even get it right, but you may not get another opportunity to jump back up. Yeah. So I can see how if you're in Ryan's position, it might be it might be hard to get the mojo going. But these guys are professionals. They need to figure out how to do it. And, and a note on that. Did hockey miss a beat? Like, oh. these guys are professionals. I mean, like, game, again, game like one, yeah. game one. It's just like these guys didn't seem like, you know, they've been off for eight months at all. Like, I get, yeah, I've been watching some games that have been kind of boring and, and rusty. And some of the guys like Lucic looked rusty as shit. Yeah. But I mean, would you be able to tell that Matthew Chuck has not been playing hockey for six, well, five, four months? Nope. Nope. No chance. No chance. Okay, let's get to the D. Um, our Ds look pretty good. Like, first off, what are, what are your thoughts on the top pairing of Gio and Andy together? Yeah, you know what? I thought of, of all the pairings, they've actually kind of struggled a little bit. Not struggled, but... I mean, they certainly had their hands full against the Jets when you're going up against that forward group. Yep. But I don't know. They kind of looked a little out of joint against the Canucks, I thought, in terms of all of the pairings. Like, I don't know, Gio was bumbling the puck a bit, weren't making clean breakouts, clean exit passes. So I don't know. I don't know if you have a different take on it, but I, I haven't been like, wow, Rasmus Anderson and Mark Giordano were slaying ass. Well, they've been Ras okay. With Rass, I've seen kind of both sides. Like, he, he makes plays, and it's just like, ooh, that was nice. Well, again, Rass was one of those guys against the Jets who was like, holy shit, in their first period. Yeah. And then it was like, well, wait, what happened in the second and third? So, but, I don't know. I haven't been super – I mean, again, they, they face the top competition. They've been okay, but 
not lights out. How about uh, Tanev and, and uh, Hannafin? Tanev looked good last game. Tanev was excellent like, against killing the those killing those penalties, man. Like, whoa, this guy is is like having Geo killing penalties. Like, and I said this Geo and Tanev out on a five on three. It's like, oh yeah, it was that five on three kill. I was rewatching Ooh. it today. The Canucks had nothing, dude. Dude, like they had nothing. And like, look at the guys they had too. Like, yeah, Pedersen, Besser, yeah, Quinn Hughes, like Hughes. Geo and Tanev insane props for shutting down the penalty. Like how many penalties did they kill? Six or no four. Um, but geez, they were good. I thought Chris Tanev wasn't as good as everybody was saying against Winnipeg. I thought he was, he was okay. Yeah. Like I've said, like I can tell he's, a, he's, he knows what he's doing out there, but his body maybe just doesn't allow him to do it. Um, but Holy shit. He was great against the Canucks. I thought he was probably one of the top three players for the flames. Against the Canucks, he had eight block shots, and I don't really like to use block shots as a metric because, you know, that means you're out there for shots, right? But the thing that I kind of noticed about his blocks is, like, because that's something Hamannick always did too, but Hamannick was just, like, out of control. Like, he's a warrior, don't get me wrong, but he's, like, Tanev is a more skilled shot blocker. Yeah. Like, you can tell he knows what he's doing. Like, he'll go down to one knee. Yeah. He'll he'll control it more. Or Hamannick was just wild. Like I'm going to block this shot and it's going to, maybe I'll get out of position or it'll bounce to a guy right in front of me, but I'm blocking it. Tanev knows what he's doing. Like he's skilled at it. Yeah. He definitely stood out last game for me. Like he, he looked good. And I mean, how many, the thing that I'm liking is he's, he's denying guys, guys who are good off the rush. Um, I can't remember who he, he denied. He broke up a nice rush play against the jets. And then there was a couple plays last night. They were showing highlights of it, even on hockey in Canada, where, like even a guy like Quinn Hughes, his former partner, bursts into the zone on that penalty or on the power play for the Canucks, and looks like he's got a lane to the net, and Tanev just pokes the puck away and totally eliminates him into the corner. So, yeah, I was really impressed with him last night, or yeah, last night. So we'll we'll get to Mark. Han- Hannafin. The thing Han- is, hey, is like Hannafin had some he, flashes last game. He yeah, good. and he kind of has free range then. Not not free range, but now that he's got Tanev, who is strong in his own zone, he looks like he's he's got a bit more off the green light a little bit. I could see that pairing turning into a pretty decent pairing, especially if Ju and Rass, you know, can find that next level. Yeah, and they will. Like again, I have no worries about Gio and Anderson at all. Yeah, all Rav seems to do is play the Oilers, and yeah, exactly. he'll, be, he'll be back in June. <laughs> right? I think the most interesting pairing, though, has been Nestrov yes. and Valimaki, though. Dude, come on. Like, what a great third pairing. That's been that's been the best the third pairing has looked for a while. This is the first we've seen Nestrov. Um, some people on Twitter have been, been pretty impressed. So Nestrov has looked good. Obviously, Valimaki's not surprising anybody. He's he's looked good. I think the biggest surprise back there has been Nestrov. Yeah, he looks good. He looked good in the ozone. Like um him he, they the two of them kind of got stuck a little bit, I thought, against the Canucks specifically in their own zone, just a little bit. Um, but I mean, man, those two guys, they're both good skaters, they both move the puck well, they both have good instincts. Nestrov hit did he hit the post? Yeah, he had that one timer from the point that hit the post. That, um, had a couple, had a couple good looks there. So yeah, I'm liking that pairing a lot. And I mean, Valimat, like you so Valimac, he's going to be a stud. You can tell. Yeah. I, I love him, dude. Yeah. Just like all around good guy, all around good player. Yeah. He, he's, he, he's, good. 
He's going to be fun to watch develop in the next few years for sure. Okay, well, why don't we wrap things up on the goaltending front? Um, you were talking about the penalty killing. Was there any as good as Hamannick or not Hamannick? As good as um, Tanev and Gio were on the penalty kill, was there anyone better than Jacob Markstrom? Dude, like you watch the when they show the behind the net cam, and you can see like how square he is and how positionally sound he is, and how like none of those chances had any real <laughs> chance to get past him man that Dude, was re- man that was reassuring he's making like scoring chances and high danger scoring chances look like routine saves and that's like <laughs> it was just so like and it was weird it was like a feeling i hadn't had in a while i don't or, remember like well it's since kipper soft man yeah, they like, were up to nothing and i was like you know what i think they got this i wasn't like almost having a full-blown cardiac event every time a puck was like in the general vicinity of the Dude, Calgary Flames net. It's so weird. It's like the boiling frog experiment, right? It's just like what we've gotten used to with Calgary Flames goaltending, I hadn't realized now that we have the contrast and Jacob Markstrom in net, it's like, whoa, this guy is fucking solid. And like, I can't, he, honestly, I what I can't wait to do is see him in person. He's not gonna get. He's not gonna let squeakers in, man. Like, yeah, you can tell that. And he's so. I mean, he's giving me a reassurance that I don't. Dude, it's been so long. I don't even remember. Like, yeah, I, it's weird. The contrast I'm feeling right now from what I've been used to for the last ten years. Like, I didn't realize yeah. that we didn't have a goaltender. Like, I I thought last year we had good goaltending. Right, you and I were like, well, I mean, with Talbot and Riddick, we'd be happy with that. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Like, maybe the grass is greener I'm sometimes. Only, I'm only two games in, and I'm like, oh shit, this is what if this is what I I forget because it's been decades. It's, it's been forever, and I mean, like again, like count me as somebody who's still. I don't know if I'm sold on the whole pay your goalie so much money thing, but. I'm loving it thus far. Like, and that's a game, like that's a game in the past. Like I said, like when, when they're up to nothing and you don't feel secure, it's like they they're playing well. It's two, nothing or three, nothing. And then some flubber just goes in that you're like, Oh shit. What? Yes. How did that go in? And then it's just like, like the I... rest of the, the rest of the third period is spent. You're sweating. The flames are under attack and you're like, yeah. Holy shit. I can't watch this. I'm going to puke. Like literally in that third period, my mind, I, I, I kept watching my mind be like, okay, shit, watch one of these just bounce in. Yeah, I know. Like, and I'm like, oh, wait, no, Jacob Markstrom's in there. Yeah. Like, I know. It's like a wrister from the wing and he just grabs it. Whistle. I'm like, what? That didn't go in? <laughs> oh, such Dude. a treat. So I don't know. It's funny because all throughout the off season, we're just like, oh, yeah, we have Jacob Markstrom. It's like one of those things like you just kind of forget but we're already starting to see like how solid this guy is. And it's not like he, he didn't win that game for us. No, but he didn't lose it either. Exactly. Which I think is the most important part with the last three years of Mike Smith. And then, you know, David Riddick was so hot hit or miss, right? Hot and cold for sure. And so to have a goalie that's like, not only did he not lose it, but like you didn't think that he might. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
What a nice, refreshing change, man. I am maybe this is maybe that's what's been making me so insane and like always so emotional and like off the deep end and like crazy and you know like maybe all we needed was a goaltender who can just like calm me down this is gonna do wonders for my stress i'm gonna be a different person this year all because of jacob markstrom i am just super interested to see how this season continues to unfold and the storyline that jacob markstrom plays out um i guess last question for you we play when do we see david riddick because we play vancouver today on this Monday. Is a weird ass break here. Eh? And then there's five days off. Come on. And then you want... play like literally like what? <laughs> every, every other, other night? night. Yeah. For every the rest other, of the year. Every other Almost. night with back to back games in. Yeah. It's, it's weird. So I, I, it might be a mandated break that every team gets at some point, but I think you probably, you're not going to see Riddick tomorrow for sure. Um, yeah. Actually, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him until the back-to-back he might get one game in there before then maybe you give him the first montreal game or the second toronto game in there somewhere yeah so we got we have vancouver then five days off then toronto toronto i have a feeling that depending on how the first game goes against toronto markstrom might get both those then riddick might get the first montreal yeah which kind of maybe makes sense you don't overplay markstrom although he's just going to come off a five-day break so yeah, it's gonna be where Dave gets where Dave gets starts is gonna be interesting because you're gonna need him to get starts. Like, there's yep. no way Markstrom starting all of those games because then following that up, you have one day off and then a back to back against Winnipeg, one day off and another game against Winnipeg, one day off and a game against the Oilers. So, yeah, Dave's gonna use some starts soon. I mean, one might even say maybe you want to get to start this this Vancouver game before the break, but you're not gonna sit Markstrom after a shutout. Yeah, I don't think so. Especially against this former club. Yeah. Okay, well, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds, but man, it's it's nice to be talking about games. What is up, everybody? Mikey CLT here from Bar Down Breakdown, letting you know that our 100th episode is going to be dropping exclusively on the Hockey Podcast Network on January 27th. We will be joined by special guest Derek from the amazing pop punk band State Champs. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on all our socials so you do not miss any of our amazing episodes. We are so pumped that we have made it to episode 100. And to thank you, we are running an Instagram contest where one lucky winner can win a Steez brand snapback hat so head over to our instagram and enter our contest also if you are just hearing about bar down breakdown make sure you go and check out our 99 other episodes where we have had artists who have been nominated for grammys all the way down to artists who are unsigned where we dive into the crossover between alternative music and hockey so make sure you go and check out bar down breakdown wherever you listen to podcasts brought to you exclusively by the Hockey Podcast Network.